all this fasting, making my mouth dry. Um, when people read this passage, normally they focus on Jesus seeming to test or ask Peter about his love for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? So a lot of us, without really thinking it through, this is the way we interpret it. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, I know I love you. You know? And then Jesus says, I don't know if you really do. You know, you know I, don't, I don't know if I, really, if I really trust what you're saying there. But you know what? Feed my sheep. Right? And then he asks again, Simon, do you really love me? Peter, do you really love me? And Peter's like, come on, Jesus, you know I love you. And once again, we interpret it in our heads. I don't know if I really trust that. You know, you know, tend my sheep, right? And so we think that Jesus, every time he asks, well, this is what Peter was thinking. We think that every time Jesus asks, do you love me again and again? We think that Jesus is questioning Peter's love. Have you ever questioned your love for God? Have you ever had a, a preacher come and just condemn you and be like, you are a hypocrite. You don't love God. You say one thing on a Sunday and then you do another the whole other week, the whole rest of the week. You, you sing these songs of praise, but that you can't follow through on living out the faith. You don't really love God. You don't love God. You know, have you ever had a, had a good preacher do that to you? I don't know if that, that, that kind of preacher is a good preacher. But, you know, I, I understand what they're trying to get at. They're trying to, like, condemn. Not, they're not trying to condemn, but they're trying to convict you to be like, let me be real about where my love with God is. There's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of weakness there. And so maybe I need to really strengthen my love in Christ. You know, and that's what that preacher might make you do. Right. But here's a cool thing that I learned from Pastor Paul, one of my good friends. He said, he said weak love is not fake love. Why don't y'all say that to each other? Weak love is not fake love. You know, we always think love is an on and off switch. It's either yes or no. You know, Simon, P- Peter, do you really love me? Yes or no? Yes or no? Right? But love is not really a yes or no, is it? There are different stages in development of love. And so, what we sometimes through a visiting preacher, might get convicted. Oh, I don't really love God. I need to really work on this. I'm not, I'm, this is fake. This is hypocr- hypocrisy. I don't really love God. I don't love God. All right. What we need to understand is that weakness you have in loving God, God does not look at it and, and say, that's not real. I see you singing that song. I love you. I love you. I love Shut up. I don't believe you. God is never in heaven looking down and condemning y'all for singing y'all songs and confessing your love to him. Because you see, weak love is not fake love. So when Jesus is asking Peter here, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The question isn't, are you being real? Because I think you're fake. Because last time I checked, you denied me. I told you you would deny me. Most people... If I tell them you're going to do something, they will try to do another. But you know what? You, I told you you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And that's exactly what you did, Peter. And I saw you. And we made eye contact. 
In one gospel account, that's, it says they, they, you know, they made the eye contact when the rooster crowed. Peter denied Jesus three times. This is after Jesus predicts his death. Peter's like, never, Lord. I will die for you. I will never let nobody hand, mistreat you like that. Right? And, and, and Jesus is like, look, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, never, Lord. Never. <laughs> right? A few moments later, Jesus gets arrested. Peter goes crazy, tries to chop off somebody's ear. Jesus heals him. You know, all this stuff. You know. Anyway, we have different gospel accounts of what happened there. But they, they take away Jesus. And it's early in the morning before the sun has risen, whatever. They're warming themselves near a fire. Peter follows along to see what happens to Jesus. Different people come up to him. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter's like, man, I don't know him. What you talking about? I don't know this man. Another person comes. Do you know Jesus? Don't you know Jesus? I do not know him. And a little servant girl, you know. Hey, you are with Jesus. <laughs> no. Hey, are you this, this girl's mother? Where are you teaching this girl how to lie? Where you, this girl, this, and he started using curse words. And saying, I do not know this man. Right? The third time, Rooster Crow. Right? For the, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy about what Peter would do. I mean, now, Peter, you got to understand, this is what happened. Right? A few weeks before, or a few days before. And so, when now, after, this is, this uh, passage we just read, this is after the death and resurrection of Christ. But before the ascension of Christ. You guys know those three things, Right? The death, the resurrection, and then the ascension. How many period, what do most scholars say Jesus, uh, before he ascended, how many days did he spend after his resurrection? Anybody? It was, it was around 40 days, right? So, you know, uh, I think it's one of Paul's letters. He says around a period of 40 days, he appeared to many, you know, and, and he freaked them out, you know. Boo! Ah! <laughs> Peace! <laughs> Jesus seemed to really enjoy saying peace while, while just scaring them to death. Um, this is what happened before the death, uh, the crucifixion. Peter denies Jesus three times. And so what happens here in this account is not Jesus saying, I don't know if I trust you, Peter. Your confessions of love, they're all lies. So... Let me ask you the question again. Do you really love me? That's not what's happening here. It's actually a lot more gracious what's happening here. And a lot of scholars will tell you the reason why Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? Was because Peter denied him three times. So it's like a restoration that was happening there. Peter, I know you feel terrible about what you, what you did toward me. And it was. You hurt me so much, Peter. But yeah, Jesus didn't mention that. You know, Jesus is like, you, you know what? I know there's a lot of shame that you're carrying because of what you did. But let me tell you. I'm, I'm going to take that shame away. I'm taking that shame away. I'm taking that shame away. Because after I leave, you're going to be a key leader in the church. I can't have you getting slowed down by that shame and condemnation. I'm bringing healing and wholeness to your heart. I'm restoring your dignity. I'm restoring your sense of worth. And, and that, that's what I really believe Jesus is doing here is he's restoring Peter. Um, 
So more than it is like, Simon, do you really love me? It's more like, Simon, every time Jesus says, feed my sheep, you know what he's saying to Peter? Uh, by the way, Simon is the same thing as Peter. It's Simon Peter. All right, I'm sorry, I use it interchangeably without letting you know. Um, what, when Jesus says, feed my sheep, you know what Jesus is really saying? Jesus is saying, Peter, I know you did all this stuff before, but I trust you. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. I trust you. Take care of my ministry. Feed my sheep. Did Jesus have a flock of sheep somewhere? I told this at Hillside that we don't know about. And he's like, hey, make sure you take care of my sheep, all right? When I leave, I want them 49 sheep to take care of, all right? No, it's a metaphor for ministry. That's a big task. And what is Jesus doing? In the world's view, the world will say, Jesus, what are you doing? This guy is a failure. This guy, he denied you. This guy doesn't keep his word. What are you doing? What are you entrusting the ministry to him? You want the ministry to fall apart? Jesus, what are you doing? But that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, Peter, I trust you. I'm, a, I'm asking you, take care of the sheep. Take care of my people. That's powerful right there. Yeah, we tend to limit and hinder ourselves by our shortcomings and past failures. But God doesn't do that. God even knows that you might still make a mistake again. But he is just so gracious. He is so amazingly gracious, isn't he? You know, my story of how I became the pastor here at New Philly. I probably want to make it seem like it's a story of diligence, sweat, sacrifice, (laughs) faithfulness. You know, diligent study of the scriptures. That's the way I probably want you to think. Um, That's not the true story. Uh... I am not the picture-perfect candidate of a person that should be entrusted with such a powerful ministry like this. I really ain't. Can I tell you, can I tell you right now? Let me tell you. Whenever I've been in leadership positions, man, I've done some stupid stuff. Okay, I, from way back when I was a child. I used to take uh, karate at a recre- public recreation center. With my uh, former Marine uh, African American uh, sensei named Tyrone Wiggins, okay. you guys know about Sensei Wiggins, and, uh, and he was he was like jacked. He was like he was good man. He was stationed in Okinawa. He learned from one of the best karate senseis in Okinawa. Uh, he actually got discharged from the Marines uh, because he was in the in the line waiting for a movie. And some bigger Marine stepped in front of him and busted in front of him in line. And he was like, hey, hey, what are you doing? I, I was here first, right? And then the guy was like, man, what are you going to do, punk? Right? Or something like that, right? And then my, my sensei was like, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. The guy said, man, shut up. And he swung at him. 
And my, my sensei, like, dodged his punch and did a spinning back kick. <laughs> Hit him in the chin. And he died. That's my sensei. All right. So you don't mess around with him. All right. He, he, he was a little crazy. After he got discharged from the Marines, he used to work for the Philadelphia Police Department. He would tell us stories, man. He would just, he would let um, the handcuffs go and let the criminal run on purpose. So, so he can, just so he can chase them, corner them, and then give them a good beating. Anyway, I mean, that's our sense. Anyway, uh, by my second year, I was one of the top students in school. I used to do like splits and kicks. I used to use, um, I used to know six or seven weapons. I, I will be able to do weapons katas, weapon forms. And uh, we, he, he'd make us use like sharpened weapons sometimes just so that like we get good. I'm like, well, okay, you know, like. Um, and one time he entrusted to us, a few of the students, the, the class, because the class was getting bigger and bigger. We kept beating um, all these Kim's Karate students that would come to our dojo and to test out their black belt, test out their toughness, they would challenge our students to fight. And my sensei would just be like, all right, young man, you come back here tomorrow at 3 p.m. One of my students, he's a green belt. He will fight you as a black belt, and he will kick your butt. <laughs> right? I'm serious. And the guy will come, and we will kick his butt. It won't even be a green belt. It will be like an orange belt. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, he entrusted, he entrusted to us leadership. And uh, one time, I don't know what happened. I literally don't remember. But one of the students got on my nerves, okay, and he, and he said something very disrespectful. And I just lost it, you know. And I was one of the ones, the teachers, that were teaching all the younger students that had come. And they were all like, they were, they were, it used to be free, but uh, when the school got bigger, we started charging money. And so, you know, my sensei obviously wants us to do a good job. Well, I lost it. I just started, like, punching the locker. There were parents there, and I just started using my, the F word, you know, like, cursing it up. And I can't even remember what it was about. <laughs> but, yeah, I lost it. All right? And uh, I don't know, that was may, may, maybe a, a picture of my, my lack of character, my, uh, I don't know, temper tantrums. I don't know what it was, right? And I'll tell you, man, my sensei, man, by the hand of God, man, he made sure that stuff never happened again. Because the very next week when he, when he came back, he made me fight all of his top students. So these are not my friends. These are guys that I look up to. I had to fight them without headgear. So it was like a street fight, right? And so it started off with, you know, Tony Capricero, uh, I forget his name. Tony something, right? And he's like, he's like a purple belt. And I was still like a green belt. And he was like, 60%. I want, I want you to take it out on me. All right, what he's done has disgraced the dojo. All right, so I had to fight Tony. And I was like, Tony, man, hey, hey, whoa, whoa. And he started going for my face. Now, when you spar somebody and you go for their face, you got to be controlled. But the way he was kicking, he wasn't controlling it. You know, he was nicking me on the head and stuff like that. So I was like, you want to play like that? Kabow! <laughs> Hit him right in the stomach. He went down. Oh! He started crying. It's like, it's right, sucker. 
<laughs> no, I didn't do that, but I was thinking that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tony. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. And then my sensei was like, all right, James, come out here. And James was this big African-American football running back. All right. He had the legs of a running back. His roundhouse kick could knock you out. Just one roundhouse kick, pow, and knock you out. Right? He used to spar my sensei and he would injure my sensei. Anyway, like he came out and he was like, oh, suck young, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yo, suck, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, you know, I don't mean it. Kapow! I was like trying to block his kick. You know, I did a perfect, like, wax on, right? <laughs> When I blocked his kick, his kick was so powerful, my fist hit my own face. <laughs> anyway, to make a long story short, that went on for about an hour and, it was about one hour. Let me not exaggerate. It was about an hour, a little over an hour. He made me fight everybody. And I went home, busted up, bleeding, bruised. But I'm kind of thankful, actually, that that happened. God's, that's God's way of being like, don't you ever do stupid stuff like that again. But you know what? I didn't learn. I didn't learn. <laughs> Let me fast forward. When I was in high school, I was a youth group president, right? I was a youth group president. One day, one day, you know, I, I, there was this girl that I liked, and there was an older uh, brother who was a praise leader. And we were just messing around. You know how, you know, men, they wrestle and they, you know, it's kind of, we're just kind of messing around. I must have been like 16, 15, 16 years old. And he messing around. And then he kind of like threw me on the ground and then scraped my face on the concrete. So I started bleeding. So I got up and I was like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. I know we're at church and everything, but you should have not done that. And he said, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right? It's like all being condescending. So I just swung and I started going at it. And so different people at the church are trying to break us up. I mean, he, he, you know, he's ghetto too. So he just wanted to fight me. So we're just fist fighting for a while. They break it up. And I'm like, let me go. Let me just go at it for a little bit. And this is in front of all the church elders. <laughs> I mean, I'm one of those types. I didn't care. I did not care. And then this is the stupid part. Right? They're like, go, go inside, go inside. So I go inside, go in the bathroom, I'm trying to wash my blood off, right? And I get so angry. You know, you know, like Bruce Lee when he goes, he, he like, he takes his own blood and he starts going crazy in the movie. That was me. I was like, Aah! and the only thing I could hit was the bathroom wall. So I made this huge hole in the bathroom wall. And I was like, whoa, I'm kind of strong. <laughs> it was just like plaster, you know, it just went right through. And then, like, church elder goes in right after. Hey, there's a hole in the wall. Who did this? Uh, I'm just like, trying to scurry around. Anyway, they found out later. And church is like, you know, what is this? Is this a youth group president? What's wrong with him? Anyway, um, can I tell you, uh, there's more stories like that. <laughs> so, anyway, um, My point is, um, there's a lot of failures, uh, a lot of stupid things I've done in my life. So if you think you've done stupid things, let me tell you right now, I probably did more. But the incredible thing is, God's been so gracious with me. 
God, you know, when I got to NYU, I started getting involved with Campus Crusade. My junior year, they asked me to be the president. I was like, do you know what I did as the youth group president back in Philly? I don't know if you want me to be the president of your campus ministry. They're like, no, Christian, you're, you're it. We want you to serve as a leader. You have leadership. So I was like, all right. So, you know, I, I served. But I made a lot of stupid mistakes. I offended so many people. I used to do the weekly announcements like, like Caleb or Marcus or John Michael does. But I wasn't like John Michael. You know, when John Michael gives the announcements, he's very professional, very kind. You know, I would offend like half the people. <laughs> half the people won't come back. Like the, the sermon was great. The praise was great. And then I will go up and do the announcements. And then like one third of the people won't come back next week because of the announcements. And I've done some stupid things. So immature things. But God's just been so gracious. And he just comes up to me and he's just like, Christian, do you really love me? I'm like, yeah, Lord, I love you. You know what? Despite everything you've done in the past, I want you to feed my sheep. <laughs> what, me, Lord? Oh, come on, Lord. We've been through this about three times. You know how, how I've messed up? No, I trust you. I want you to do this. Now, I want to focus today on that word trust. Uh, I was going to preach a message called challenge, the challenge to trust, which is a totally different message. I preached that at a hillside. But I'm going to preach a different message here. I'm going to preach a message called the speed of trust, which is actually the title of a book by Stephen Covey. It's a business book, excellent book, uh, and it talks about how important of a commodity trust is in a business organization. How without trust, businesses, they falter, they wane, and then they just do not grow. They don't turn a profit. When you don't have trust in a corporation, that corporation is doomed. And uh, it's an excellent book. I, I didn't get to read it yet. My accountability partner always talks about it. And... Uh, a lot of ways that he applies that to the business realm, it applies to the church. It applies to the ministry. There is a speed of trust that we as God's people, we need to learn how to tap into. We need to learn how to value. We need to learn how to aim and pursue trust. Because trust is a precious commodity in the church. But unfortunately, it's a scarce commodity. Can I tell you? That's why you have church splits. We believe in the same Jesus. We obey the same scripture. We are filled with the same spirit. Why these church splits? Because I don't trust that person. I don't trust that elder. I don't trust you, pastor. Well, I don't trust your wife. So little trust in the body of Christ. What's that result in? Fruitless ministries. Ministries that are stuck in tradition. Church splits. We need trust to be restored back into the church. It is probably one of the single most precious commodities that we need restored into the church today. 
And just as Jesus restored trust for Peter here in this passage, I believe right now Jesus is restoring trust in the church. And when it comes down to it, why do so many of you in your past experiences or just your recent experiences as adults, why do you skip around so many churches? Well, I didn't like the music. Now, there's plenty of people that stick around churches that they don't, they don't like the music. I mean, I, when I was called to a church in New Jersey that was very traditional, very dry, didn't have particularly good praise. Actually, I was the praise leader, so the praise was very great. But the people didn't receive it. They didn't like it. They just wanted to sing hymns, and they wanted to keep the message. Uh, they wanted to keep the service as short as possible. You know, we talk about, we, have a, we aim for a 98-minute service, right? That's an hour and 38 minutes. They were aiming for like a 48-minute service, like a you know 58-minute service, you know? Um, trust. One thing I'm thankful for at New Philly is that there is a strong measure of trust that's been established in this house. The core leaders that lead this ministry at both campuses... We have trust among each other so that we have never had felt the need to establish a democratic form of making decisions. We actually are unanimous in all our decisions. That's awesome. That's only possible because there's trust. We don't allow strife. Strife gets in, mind you. Devil throws it our way. But we don't let it to stay. We root that strife out. We talk it out with each other. You know, our 11 core leaders here who represent the top spiritual leadership, there's trust among us. On our deacon board, when they, they uh, check all the uh, church numbers and financial accountability, there's trust among us. And if we didn't have that trust, I'll tell you right now, there will be an inefficiency here at this ministry where decisions will take not just weeks, it will take years. Because everything will need to be double-checked, doubted, tested, scrutinized before it actually goes through. There is an efficiency, there is a speed that comes with having trust. You know, because I trust my leaders, I can entrust to them spiritual authority to minister at a Friday fire, to minister at a Sunday swim. Even when I'm even not there, I can entrust it to them, and I don't have to worry. I don't have to double check. I don't have to get an ulcer thinking about all the stupid things that they might do. Because I trust them. Because we have trust here in this house, I can send leaders on a mission trip. Entrust to them the lives of 12, 13 team members. And have peace. That that leader will bring them all back safely. And that the preacher on the team is going to preach the gospel and preach out of the Bible and minister with the Holy Spirit, not some other spirit. Because of trust. I can entrust authority because I have trust in this house. And here's the thing. I believe that God's taking us to a whole nother level of trust in this next hour. Pastor Aaron shared a prophecy with me. She said that in 2012, that fruitfulness will be connected with trust. This is what she said. She said, 
in this next hour, God is going to open up doors for some of our leaders to begin to minister in other cities, at other churches, in other nations. That brings me joy. But it also brings me a little bit of concern. Why? Because that would mean that I would have to trust them to a level that maybe I haven't really reached yet. And so Aaron was prophesying that there is a challenge at this hour to learn how to trust our leaders with greater authority. And after she gave me that prophecy and I read it yesterday, the funny thing is right after I read that prophecy, Pastor John Michael emailed me asking me, he was like, I got invited to come speak at a singles conference in December. What do you think? So I shot back an email. I was like, sounds good to me. Go for it. I just read the prophecy, you know. I got to try to apply it. Hey, I trust you, man. <laughs> Don't worry, man. Just go. You know. But it was a prophetic confirmation of the exact thing that God's about to do at this hour. He's going to open up doors for Marcus to preach in other churches. He's going to open up doors for Pastor Aaron to start preaching in Korean Korean ministries. And they loved her over at WLI. All them, all them... They had her prophesying at four in the morning. There was a line of like 40 people that were wanting prophecy from her. Because Pastor Hong was like, oh, I've heard this uh, pastor of New Philly. She is a prophet. She's got the gift of prophecy. I, w- I want you all to get prophecy from her. And you know what one man said? One man came up, one of, one of the leaders. He was like, I don't normally receive prophecy uh, other than from apostles and people like Stacy Campbell uh, Cindy Jacobs, but because Pastor Hong said, um, you're good, I'm going to ask you for Can you pray for me? I was like, man, if he talked to me like that, I'd be like, young man, I'll tell you what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, give you a smack. <laughs> kind of arrogant, annoying, obnoxious. Get out, get to the back of the line. That's pretty obnoxious, huh? Well, I don't let nobody pray for me. But, you know, this one's exception. Anyway, um, God's opening up doors for her to, for her to preach. Uh, and he's going to do that. He's going to do that for Myoma. He's going he's gonna to do that for me. He's going to do that for Pastor John Newfield. He's going to do that for some of you in here. Can you imagine Ryan Duker? Hallelujah. Ryan Duker. Hey, 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 Duker, man. Hey, hey, check this out, man. I got invited to go speak at Australia, but it conflicts with another ministry opportunity that I have over in uh, Uzbekistan. So you know what? <laughs> I'm going to let you take Australia. How about it, man? You want, can you go and preach for me? It's like, yes, Pastor Christian. That would be my honor. Ah, man. Come on, Duker. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love you, man. Go ahead. All right. Go, go. And we send Ryan and we go and he goes and ministers. It's awesome, right? I mean, you gotta imagine what the church is gonna look like in, in 10 years. I'll tell you right now, this is, I know that, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, honor Pastor Christian, he's the father of the house, but this is not a personality church by any means. My, my goal is not to like, you know, write all these books. I hope I write books. I gotta get off my lazy butt, but you know, I hope I write books. But my goal is not to, you know, Pastor Christian! And Pastor Aaron! Pastor Christian and Aaron! You know, and that's, you know, like, sums up our ministry. No, no, no. It's going to be like, Pastor John Michael, Pastor Marcus, Pastor Milwaukee, Pastor Ryan Duker. I don't know, like, you know. Uh, uh, 
I'm playing with you, man. That's not prophetic. But the Holy Spirit moving on, my, on your heart. Don't neglect that. All right. Um, that's not my goal at all. I want, I want some of the sons of the house, sons and daughters of the house, to go and minister. And they'd be like, what, what church are you from? From a church called New Philadelphia. Are you the lead pastor there? No, I'm actually not. My lead pastor is Pastor Christian. Who is that? <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, hallelujah. Come on. That makes me proud. To see the sons going out like that. That's the heart of a true father. Who doesn't have insecurity that his sons are accomplishing incredible works for the kingdom. That's the heart, that's the heart of a, like a, like a master slave relationship, not a father son one. I got nine minutes. All right. I'm going to go over these three things, four things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Four things. So as we go into the new year, there's going to be a release, a sending forth, a greater authority that's going to be entrusted to key leaders here, right? That's going to require a greater level of trust in Pastor Aaron and our part to, to really send them out. Um, and, you know, and it's also to send them out and they're not going to do everything perfect. Marcus is not going to do everything perfect. He's not, he's not. But you know what? It's to let them make mistakes. Because guess what? There is somebody that God let make a whole lot of mistakes before I got into my leadership position. And in fact, I still do make mistakes. I just cover it up. I don't show y'all. <laughs> God sees it all, and so does my wife. <laughs> but to bless them and create an atmosphere, it's like, all right, so I made a mistake. Does not mean that everything I've done is useless or stupid or I should never get back up again. And this is what we talk about on, on my car ride over here. In my personal life, I've learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. So God will let us sometimes, you know, he could easily just be like, you know, give you a revelation and be like, do it this way. The way you're about to do it, it's going to offend a whole bunch of people. I mean, I mean, God could have easily done that for me. But he's just like, oh, look at Christian. Look what he's about to do. Watch this, y'all. <laughs> I can't believe he said that. That just offended like half the room. <laughs> I don't think he's like mocking me that way, but you know, he's like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> but he lets me make, make mistakes. Why? Because if I'm a true son, I'm going to pick myself back up. A righteous man may fall seven times, seven times, he'll rise again. But we are not defined by our failures and mistakes and weaknesses. We're defined by the grace of God. When we get to heaven, y'all are going to see that I was not exaggerating. That the story of New Philly is like 99.9999999% God's grace. And I have my portion, believe me. I did my part. I've sacrificed. I've done, I've done my part. But man, it is real small compared to God's part. God has just been so gracious. And he wants to be gracious like that to you. 
I'm going to describe four things that are essential to trust. Because in God trusting you, God also calls us to trust each other. To trust others in the body of Christ. You know, if if your idea of trust is, God, I trust you. It's just you and me, Lord. Hide me under the shelter of your wing. And God's like, that's right. Come here, son. It's just you and me over here. Away from all those other Christians. Just you and me. <laughs> okay, that's probably not the Lord. If God is saying, this is the prophetic voice of the Lord and not last, thus saith the Lord, you are not to relate to other Christians. Do not trust them. They have hurt you. They have betrayed you. Don't ever trust them. Just trust me. I am the Lord. Okay? That's probably not the Lord. Because you get hurt through relationships, but you also get healed through relationships. What was, where was the relationship, the hurt took place between Peter and, and Jesus? That wasn't their relationship. How did Jesus heal and restore Peter? Through relationship. You may have been hurt by a father figure, but it's a father figure that's going to bring healing in your life. You, you may even have gotten a uh, hurt, divorced by a spouse. But perhaps you opening your heart back up to love. That's how God's going to heal you. You may have had really good BFFs growing up. And then you became a Christian and uh, you started getting spirit-filled. And they are Christians, but they just aren't spirit-filled. They, they just think you're crazy and you're part of a cult. And you've lost all those BFFs. You got hurt by them, betrayed by them. It may be through gaining a new BFF that you get healed. I mean, Paris Hilton seems to think so. She's always looking for BFFs. So four things that are essential to trust. Let me go over four things. Number one, if you, for trust to be established, in the, especially in the ministry context. I'm talking about ministry right now. Number one, you need healing and deliverance. Can I tell you that? Without healing and deliverance, you really can't have trust. Not, at least not in a longevity way. Not in an enduring way. You can't have trust. You know why? Because when people are under demonic bondage, under bondage and oppression to their past traumas and hurts, when you start to relate to them and get to know them, they start acting crazy. Scary behavior. Strange behavior. Obsessive compulsive types of behavior. They say they're going to show up, but they don't. And then they call you and accuse you of not showing up. And you're like, what is, what's wrong with you? Without healing and deliverance, I'm telling you right now, the demonic, the demon spirits, they jack up Christians all the time. They use those hurts from their child, childhood. They, hurt, they use lies. They use uh, the occultic, whatever. Whatever they can do to try to gain a foothold in your life. And they will take that and yoke you around. You can never really have good trust relationships without healing and deliverance and wholeness in the body of Christ. So healing and deliverance is so important. That's why you got to really just pray for and cover uh, John Michael and Sky as they lead the healing and deliverance ministry now at this church. I've entrusted that ministry to them. 
You know, I, I was the forerunner to break through in that. But I'm entrusting to, to them to, to, to develop it. And, and they've been doing a great job. But without human deliverance, man, you can't have trust. Second, character. If there's no character, there's no trust. That's why it's important that we emphasize living a life of holiness. Living a life of purity. Having accountability. And asking each other, are you living by the word of God? If our approach gets all liberal and postmodern and it's like, nah, you know what? I just like to pick and choose what I like from the Bible. Um, yeah, cohabitation. Yeah, I don't really think the Bible opposes that. So I'm just going to do it. I really love my boyfriend. You're not living by the word of God. What are you doing? You got to live by the word of God. Character without character it affects politics. Let me tell you that right now. Why is Herman Cain constantly having to defend himself right now? Why? Because he's getting accused by several women of sexual harassment. Now, I, I personally think it's a little bit blown out of proportion because, you know, he's in the lead. And so it's kind of like a media assassination in some time. That's just my theory. Because, you know, I think he said something like, you're, uh, went up to one woman and was like, you're as tall as my wife. And then the woman's like, sexual harassment! I'm like, what? What kind of sexual harassment is that? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like me, like, high-fiving, like, one of the sisters at church. And the next week, you know, Pastor Christian sexually harassed me. He touched me. On my hand. Real hard. And then I saw his eyes. What is wrong with you? What kind of... Anyway, that's what it seems like. But maybe there is some substance. I usually side with the women. Because usually, you know, it's really hard for women to come out and say stuff like that. But but what's happening? Herman Cain's having to defend himself. Why? Because when you don't have character, you don't have trust. So as a politician, if you don't have good character, if the media can dig up dirt about you, are you in trouble. Because you cannot have trust without character. So here at our church... You can't have the picture of character overnight. Can I tell you that right now? Some of you newcomers, we meet you, and you're like, yeah, I, you know, I love the Bible. I love Jesus. Uh, I'm filled with the Spirit. You know, I'm like, all right, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Can I prophesy over people next week? No, you can't. I'm sorry. No. Why? Because you can have the appearance of character, but you got to show me the substance of it. What are you going to show me in these coming months when we have prayer meetings, when we have small group discipleship, when we ask you the hard questions of accountability and you have sin in your life? Are you going to deal with it and repent or are you going to keep it hidden? Without character, there's no trust and character takes time. Even if you have it, possess it, when you go into a new context, you got to be patient because it takes time for others to see you. As having the substance of real true character. But character is very important. Third is uh, love relationships. If you don't have love relationships, you can't have trust. You cannot enjoy the speed of trust in the ministry when you don't have love relationships. I know this sounds like a no-brainer, but listen to me. This is the weakness of the missions movement. Okay, as a man that used to serve with Campus Crusade, a very strong missions movement in the world, can I tell you? This is the weakness of the missions movement. The missions movement is birthed 
in a zeal and a fire to fulfill the Great Commission. But is lacking, in my opinion, in the area of relationships. Why? Because most missions movements are fueled by a functional paradigm, not a relational one. So a lot of times they're do Urbana, big conference, all these people get together and people get blessed watching 15,000 people worshiping in one place. And they're like, wow, God's doing something so amazing here, right? And then you try to keep in touch with those Urbana friends. Bye. K-I-T, you know, they don't mean nothing. Keep in touch, you know. People go their separate ways. They don't want to stay in touch with you. Why? Because they're, I'll talk to you if there's another conference coming up. I'll talk to you if we're going to go on a mission trip together. But there ain't nothing going on functionally. I don't really want to talk to you. I'm sorry. That is a picture of the missions movement. That's a picture of Campus Crusade. I'm not, I'm not saying it's generalizing. But I'm saying it, was, it, was, it happened regularly enough. Right? Students, they go on mission trips together. I've been on. You know how many mission trips I've been on with Campus Crusade? I've been on seven. Seven. Five times to Kazakhstan, two times to China. I've experienced incredible intimacy with these teammates. All right? We shower together naked. We eat like dog meat together in China. We, uh, we've uh, crossed the North Korean border and shaken hands with North Korean guards. I hope that doesn't go on the podcast. But it's okay. So I just leave it. We're like, yeah, this is awesome. We're doing all these functional things. And then after the mission trip, let's do a reunion. Yeah. You know, about two-thirds of the people show up for the reunion. Let's do another reunion. Yeah, the one-third that didn't show up, they'll they're show up next time. And the next time, it's only one-third of the people show up. And then let's do another reunion. Whatever. This reunion has never happened. And then they stop meeting. They stop getting together. What about praying for North Korea? Let's at least pray for North Korea together. They're like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. But they never follow through. Why? Because their paradigm is primarily functional, not relational. And so when you are operating on a functional paradigm, you have very little trust. A lot of the trust is temporary, pending a conference or a missions project. But if you really want longevity, you want to really build something, you got to get with a relational paradigm. This is why I like Pastor Sam's song. Pastor Sam's song, this is, when he met me, this is what he said. He said, you know what? I want to let you know straight up. I don't want to talk about any ministry with you. And I was like, all right, I don't want to talk about ministry with you. <laughs> he said, no, not for real. You know, I, you know, people, all these pastors, they always want to get together. And uh, when these pastors get together, you know, they always want to talk about, let's do this, let's do that together. Let's do this conference. Let's do that missions trip together. You know, you know, the way I've seen it, that's all a lie. A lot of them pastors, they never follow through. Or we do something, and then it fizzles out. He was like, you know what? I just want to get to know you. Is that all right? I was like, yeah. Yeah, Pastor Sam, yeah, I want to get to know you too. And he's like, all right, good. Bring your swimming trunks and you're going to go swimming in the hotel pool with my uh, kids. I'm like, what? (laughs) So I went swimming in this hotel swimming pool with his kids and Pastor Eric Lehman's kids. So there were like five children 
All between the ages of two and eleven, they were all running around splashing and scratching me. And I was in the pool with them, trying to get to know them. Anyway, it's been a beautiful friendship that's that's been developing, and we have not planned barely any ministry events. Same thing with Pastor Benjamin. It started with the Niagara Conference. But when Pastor Benjamin came back, it had nothing to do with events. We actually had the Niagara Conference in July. I had a phone conversation with him in October. I'm looking for a spiritual mentor. I feel like God's been putting this on my heart for the past two years. And I I feel comfortable with asking you, you, can you serve in this way? And he's like, Christian, that would be my honor. I would love to do that. I feel like God's called me to do that, to, to shepherd young leaders like you. But, you know, he's also young. He's only a few years younger than me, older than me. Um, and then you know what he did? He said, a few weeks after that, he said, I'm booking my ticket to Korea. I'm going to fly out. I'm like, for what? We didn't, we didn't ask you to speak. Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't, there's no, there's no uh, funds to fly you out. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to fly. I'm going to pay my own way. I just want to come and spend time with you. This is a crucial time. We need to establish this relationship. So what did he do? He arrived, and we ate fried chicken and pancakes five days in a row. (laughs) All we did. I thought he would be more holy and be like, you know, let's fast and pray. Let's have prayer meetings, worship meetings together. You know, I know a lot of ministers that are like that. When I go over their place, they're like, oh, Shandai. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit's presence. Hey, 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 forget the dinner. All right, let's everybody, let's feast on the Lord. And I'm like, I'm hungry. <laughs> now, Pastor Benjamin's not like that. He's like, let me show you this crazy Chris Rock video. All right, this is real funny, man. Let me show you. And I'm like, let me show you this video from, you know, uh, Chris Tucker. And let me show you this video from Dave Chappelle. And, you know, don't, I'm not promoting any of these comedians, by the way. They're, they're crass. They're, they're not good. But, um, yeah, we're just... We just have a relationship. So the paradigm I have with those two men, very relational. In fact, they would say things like, yeah, I forget. <laughs> I was thinking of somebody else. God's teaching me. Because you know why? Naturally, I'm very functional. I'm a choleric. I'm a goal-oriented person. If you don't have nothing to do, I have no business meeting you. <laughs> but, you know, these, these people, man, they teach me how to be relational. My wife included. Because my wife is very relational. You know, a lot of times she'll be like, is the only times you want to talk to me is when, we wanna, when you want to discuss the ministry? I'm like, oh, snap. It is the only times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Let me make a confession. Majority of the time, I only want to talk to my wife because you, I want to talk about functional things, mystery things. And she's like, you know what? That's not right. I'm like, you're right, honey. I'm sorry. Let's talk about your makeup. <laughs> Let's talk about something you like. You know, and I try to make my efforts. Anyway, we need love relationships in order for trust. For trust to be established, you need love relationships. And lastly, covenant. Covenant. Covenant and contract are different. Contracts can be broken when the stipulations are broken. But a covenant is more dependent 
uh, on the covenant giver. Uh, oftentimes, covenants are not contract. Covenants are divine and public commitments that are not dependent on how you complete the terms of that contract. It depends really more on the faithfulness of the one who's given that covenant. You hear what I'm saying? So, you know, even with our membership covenant, if you, like, don't tie, we don't just, like, kick you off membership, you know? You know you're a bad member. You know, it's more like, hey, you know, we're a little concerned about, you know, you're not, you're not coming out. You know, I heard we hear that you, you know, you're not living by God's word. You, you, you're getting drunk on the weekends. What's going on? You know, <laughs> that was funny to somebody. <laughs> stop it. If you've been doing it, stop it. Uh, yeah, we, it's more, you know, we don't keep the letter of, of the of the contract. It's more a covenant. It's a relational thing. It's a commitment that makes the relationship go deeper. That's why marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And the one that is giving that covenant is not the man or the woman. It's God. Why? Because the Bible says what God has joined together, let man not separate. It's a covenant. It's the difference between a covenant and contract or just any old commitment. When you have covenant, you can have trust. Even between a husband and wife. If a boyfriend and girlfriend, they don't enter covenant that Boyfriend and girlfriend are not going to be able to really enter into the deep levels of trust in their relationship. But the covenant makes way for the trust to be uh, to abound. So yeah, those four things. Healing, deliverance, character, love relationships, and covenant. The good news is, brothers and sisters, here at New Philly, I believe God has established all four over the last three and a half years. And that's why it's such a joy. And that's why I don't get ulcers. I don't have insomnia. Because there's so much trust here. There's peace here. And for all the newcomers, I want to invite you in and say, look, this is possible. This is not fake. This is real. You can actually trust people. In this church community. Are we going to be perfect? No, we may make mistakes. The pastor may blow up. (laughs) No, I won't. I won't. But in case he does. There's such a grace in this house. That we still choose to trust. We choose to give people grace. As we've received grace. The speed of trust, brothers and sisters. We're about to enter into a quantum physics leap in this speed of trust because in 2012 2011 was a year of transition for the body of christ 2012 is the year of completion there's things that are complete that have all been built together by 2012 our church is going to start to we'll start this go time it's gonna be fruitfulness increase open doors and i want to invite everybody whether you, whether you came two years ago, whether you just came yesterday. Last will be first, the first will be last. Candace here, on our first Sunday to our church, <laughs> I happened to do a 10-year commitment altar call. I know you've never heard of that before, but it's unique to our church. God put it on my heart. I will build my house on 10-year commitments. There are people 
that are out there that I've been speaking to already. I want you to identify them. So I said, God's going to build this house in 10-year commitments. If that's you, stand up. So I've done that maybe like two or three times. One Sunday, it was Candace's first Sunday. I did that. And Candace came forward. And I was like, I've never seen this lady. I've never seen this girl. Are you sure you want to do this? She came up and actually, it actually, um, Ryan was like, Ryan Duker was like debating. I don't know if I want to. Wait a minute. That's a newcomer. Oh, I'm doing this. Newcomer can do it. I can do it. True story. I heard that's kind of like what happened. But here's the thing. Candace, you don't have to prove to anybody about the sincerity of your commitment. You don't got to prove nothing. A crazy move like that, we just accept you for who you are. <laughs> well, that, well, that's, I think that's quite amazing. I think it's a beautiful sign of what God's doing in this house. First would be last, and last would be first. There's a lot of people, they're just like, man, there's something amazing going on here. I want to jump in. And we're just like, come on in. It's good. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that your kingdom is a kingdom that's established in both justice, righteousness, but also in trust. When you built your church, God, you established trust first with one of your key leaders. And we thank you that your trust continues to this day. You trust broken jars of clay. You trust tantrum-throwing, immature young men that seems like they've made all the mistakes in the world and think that they should disqualify themselves. God, you still call them. And you just simply ask. And you center them with love. And then you trust them again. God, you're so gracious. God, you are amazingly gracious, God. And Father, Lord, we just embrace that grace in this house. And we choose to dispense that grace to each other. And we pray that, Lord, that trust will go to a whole another level after this year of intimacy. And it will create an, an, a speed, an uh, increase, a pace of fruitfulness at this church that we have yet to see. Father, we embrace your moves. In Jesus' name, amen.